Well, good morning. Uh, I'm excited uh, to introduce uh, Dan and Melody Anderson. Uh, they're missionaries from uh, Uganda. They've been actually in, in the Africa region for, I think, 20, about 20, a little over 20 years, and in Uganda for about the last 15. And um, God is doing some amazing things uh, in Uganda through the Church of the Nazarene. And so it's, uh, it's just exciting to uh, have them come and share and uh, hear a little bit about what God's doing uh, through the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Dan? Life is good if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Life is good if you're willing to follow the one who entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Life is good if you're willing to put your life into the hands of the one who died on the cross for you. But for millions of people around the world, life is not good because they don't know Jesus Christ like you and I know Jesus Christ. Back in 1985, Melody and I were appointed just north of here in Anaheim at the General Assembly to go to the country of Kenya. If those who can see the map of Kenya, you'll see Kenya on the right and Uganda is to the left. It's East Africa on the equator. And there we were sent to help start the new work for the church. And that year, they were wanting to go into five new countries. They were trying to get out of this slow, slow, slow going. And so because we were church planters up in the northern part of California, We were asked to go and join two other missionaries, couples, and go to Kenya. We were sent there. The director sent us out to the western part of Kenya and said, go and do the work. I said, well, what do you want us to do? He says, you'll figure it out. Go. And so we went. And there God blessed the work in Kenya. In 10 years, we were able to help start 120 churches. If you average that out, it's about one church every month for 10 straight years. And that's because the Lord blessed the work and because the Kenyans accepted the responsibility. You see, they understood that they weren't just to sit as Christians, that they were supposed to be involved and get going and do something and serve. And we knew eight years into those first ten years that though it was a blessing to be there, that God had really just showed us so much that we should be looking for somewhere else to go. Because God had started our four districts in Kenya. We were able to have district advisory boards, district superintendents, and they were doing what they needed to do, replant, reach out. And so we began to pray, asking God, where shall we go? And he said, go west, young man, go west. And so we went west a little bit farther, across the border, out of Kenya, into the country of Uganda. Uganda and Kenya share a lake. It's the second largest freshwater lake in the world, Lake Victoria, second only to Lake Superior. And there we decided we would do the same thing that we had done in Kenya. Reach out, start making friends, try and do friendship evangelism, start churches. Now we lived right along the shores of Lake Victoria, right at the mouth of the longest river in the world, which is the Nile River. The Nile River is where Moses was put into a basket, you remember? We also have been put into one of those baskets and we also went down the river. But it wasn't like the one Moses in. We were in a rubber one and we were whitewater rafting. We had a lot more fun going down the river than Moses did, I think. But we began to make friends, to build relationships, to see what God was going to do. Soon I realized that the roads of Uganda were not as smooth as the waters of the Nile River. And I started hearing something funny going on in the front of our van. So I went into town. I said, where are the mechanics? 
And somebody hopped in the van and said, well, drive this way. And we went down two or three blocks and we entered this big compound. We saw about 20 different mechanics working for themselves there. We went past several until we stood before a man that I can only describe to you as Mr. T. He was big. He had big arms, big chest, bald head. I said, hi, my name's Dan. He said, hi, my name is Mohammed. And I looked at Mohammed and I said, well, Mohammed, I'm hearing something funny going on in the front of my vehicle. He says, go find something to do in town for about an hour and then come back. I said, okay. So I went looking through shops, trying to see what was around in that town where we lived. When I came back, I said, what did you find out? He says, got it taken care of. I said, well, what was it? He says, well, vehicles are supposed to have these rubber things called bushes. And they keep the metal parts away from one another. All your bushes were gone. I've replaced all the bushes. You're good to go. I said, well, thank you. I paid him, got in the vehicle. Drove out onto the road, and as I was driving, I went, whoa, this, this vehicle's driving a little funny. So I made a U-turn. I went back into the compound. I said, Muhammad, come take a t- test drive with me. He hopped in the car. We got on the road. He said, stop. So I stopped. He rolled the window down, stuck his head. I said, okay, go ahead. So I began to go, and he said, stop. So I again stopped. He says, where's the tire iron? I said, back here on the floor where your guys threw it. So I reached back. I gave it to him. He got out and started tightening the lug nuts on my wheels. And I looked at this guy wondering, what in the world is he doing? Well, what, why, why did he send me out into the road like this? He got in the car. And I said, what's going on? He said, just go back into the compound. So again, I made a U-turn and went back into the compound. He got out. He called about 10, 15-year-old boys to him. I'd been watching that he had been working with these boys. Later, I found out that these boys didn't have money to go to school, didn't have parents that could send them to school. So he took it upon himself to help these boys learn a trade, mechanics, so that they would have a way to make it through life. And he said, which one of you did I tell to tighten the lug nuts on this Mzungu's car? Mzungu is a Swahili word for white person. One boy raised his hand proudly, and he looked and says, why didn't you do it? Ah, I forgot. You forgot? You could have killed Mzungu. Sorry. Now go and check them all. And he went over there. After Muhammad had tightened, you didn't need to tighten. They were there. He came around, did them all, and came back and says, they're good now. He says, okay. Muhammad looked at me and says, I'm sorry. I should have watched that. And I'm thinking, yeah, you should have. <laughs> Got in the car, drove out into the road. Everything was good. It was running smooth. I didn't hear any bangity-bang of the, the metal. So we continued doing the work that we were supposed to be doing, reaching out to people, starting to get new churches, starting to reach out and find people that wanted to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And over there, it's great to have people come to church because they are coming because they want something that they can't find in the world. As we were doing this work, again, I heard something funny going on in the van. So I went right down to the compound. I found Muhammad. I said, Muhammad, listen to this. And I started the car. And I go, ooh, that doesn't sound too good. I said, no, I didn't think so either. He says, man, you, you got to leave this with me. I said, okay. I said, when do you want me to come back? He said, well, come back tomorrow afternoon. I said, well, will the vehicle be safe here? He said, yeah, no problem. I said, okay. So I left and got into a Boda Boda. It's a small motorcycle taxi. Uh, and I went home, worked that day, worked the next day. The next afternoon, I came back, came in. And I said, well, what did you find out? He gave me a big old list of a receipt, all the things he had done. He says, now it's good. I said, okay, you sure? He said, yep. So I paid him. I thanked him, got in the vehicle, started it up, looked down at my gauges as I always do. And I said, Muhammad, did you have to take my car out for a test drive? He says, nope, didn't need to. I said, well, then, where's all my fuel? He says, what do you mean? I said, when I came in, the fuel was full. Now it's less than half. 
Where's my fuel? He says, Dan, no one's touched your fuel. I said, Muhammad, I'm an Mzungu. And I took my paper and I showed him where I wrote everything down and when I filled up. And he's okay, pop the, the door to your gas cap. So I did. We went back there, it takes a key to open the gas cap. Nobody jimmied it, it was fine. He says, See, I told you. I said, Muhammad, I know what I know. He called his son Twaha to come over. Told him to go into the car. When he came out, he said, Dad, someone has opened the drain on the petrol tank, the gas tank. And I watched Muhammad's face drop. He couldn't believe it. He said, take your car up, fill it up, bring me the receipt. I couldn't believe it. He was sending me to get a fuel. So I went, filled it up, came back, handed him the receipt. He looked at it. His face even dropped farther because I have a big tank. He reached into his pocket. He paid me every shilling. You got a shilling that it took to fill it back up. I said, Muhammad, my dad and my grandpa taught me to do the right thing no matter what. Do the right thing, and you've done the right thing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I turned to leave, and he says, you can't go. I said, why not? He says, we haven't finished yet. I said, what's that mean? He says, well, someone saw somebody else carrying two jerry cans out of the garage early this morning. We knew where they went, so we sent somebody there. We found out that someone bought two jerry cans of diesel fuel. Probably your diesel fuel, Dan. I said, okay. He says, I've told someone to bring that young man. In fact, here he comes now. And I looked over and I saw this 20-year-old kid coming. Stood before us. Muhammad said, did you take the Mzungu's fuel? Yep. Okay, you have two choices. One, we take you to the police right now. Or two, we handle it right here. Your choice. He was a smart young man. He didn't want to go to the police. He says, let's handle it here. So Muhammad called all the other mechanics to come. They made a circle. Told this young boy to lay down in the dirt. Lay down. Then he handed Muhammad a piece of rubber hose. And I wanted to leave, and he said I could not. And he began to hit the legs of that boy. Every time he hit, I cringed. I didn't want to be there. And he kept hitting, and the legs started to shake, and his whole body started to shake, and he started to cry out. And he kept hitting until finally he said, enough. He turned to me and said I could go, and I got in the vehicle, and I left. And I said, I will never come back here again. I can't handle this. This is not what I signed up for. This is not the way you should treat people. I'm out of here. And that's when God said, Dan, I want you to build a relationship with Muhammad. And I said, no way. Not me. I know nothing about Islam. I know nothing about how to reach out to a Muslim man. Not me, God. You got the wrong person. You remember that guy, Moses? You tried to call him, and he said, it was, I'm the wrong person. This is not the one you want to be doing that. He says, Dan, I want you to build a relationship with Muhammad. And what do you say? I began to think, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to be doing this type of thing. And I began to think about Muhammad. About where he would end up the end of his life. I said, okay, God, I will do my best, but you're going to have to help me because I don't know where we're going with this. And so every time we come from home, we don't live in town. I, I grew up in Auburn, California, just north of Sacramento on a dairy farm. I like to wake up with the cows, the goats, the chickens. I don't like to hear cars and people walking in front of my house. And so whenever we come in from town, just a couple of kilometers out, We'd do our work, and then if I had time, I'd go down to the garage, and I'd see Muhammad. One day, I walked in there, and I could see he was struggling with a car. They were trying to get him started. It wasn't starting. And the boys were there around the front of the car, and he was leaning in, so I came up behind him. 
I looked over his shoulder and said, I know what's wrong. I know what you need. He says, what? I said, a good mechanic. He looked at me and the boys laughed and I laughed. Day after day, I kept going to try and build the relationship. One day I went in and he wasn't there. First time I'd ever gone and he was not there. He was always there. I thought he lived there. I said, where's Muhammad? I said, don't know. He didn't come in today. I said, okay. So I waited a few days, went back. Still no Muhammad. A week went by. Finally, Muhammad was back. I said, Muhammad, where you been? Been on vacation? Taking a holiday? I said, no. Had a little problem. I said, oh, what was that? And the boys were there, so he didn't say anything. Waited until everybody went away. And he says, uh, last week I got in my vehicle and I headed out of Jinja, the town we live in. Went around a curve. And as we went around a curve, two guys jumped into the road, one holding an AK-47 assault rifle. Told me to stop. I stopped. Told me to get out of the vehicle. I got out of the vehicle. So give me your money. I gave him my money. Gave him my watch. Gave him my phone. Gave him everything that I had. Gave him my keys to the vehicle. They stuck that gun right into my chest. And they ripped him before they left him there. He opened his shirt and showed me this wound that looked infected. I said, Muhammad, how did you feel with that gun stuck into your chest? He said, Dan, I, I thought I was going to die. I said, Muhammad, are you ready to die? He says, Dan, nobody can be ready to die. I said, ah, you can, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when he saw the direction I was going, he took a detour. He didn't want to talk about Jesus, didn't want to talk about Christianity. So I let it go, and we just talked about other things. Had a working witness team come over to help us build a church way down near the border of Rwanda. And when we finished, we went out, did our safari, and got back on the road and started heading back to, to Jinja. And as we were driving, I was watching ahead. I was a good driver. Watching where people can just come in at you without stopping, paying attention, watching my side mirrors, looking back, making sure nobody's coming up behind us that shouldn't. And as I looked back once, I go, uh-oh, I'm seeing a lot of black smoke. And then I saw some blue smoke. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Lord, please help us get back. I don't want to break down with these wazungu, these white people from America. This would not be pleasant for them and not be pleasant for me. Help us reach back to Jinja. And we got back to Jinja. And I was thankful. And we got them into the showers. And they were doing whatever they were doing. And I went and got on the phone. And I called up Muhammad, told him what I thought it was. He said, well, bring it in tomorrow. I said, no, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's Sunday. I'm taking the people to church. Maybe Monday afternoon. No, you bring it in tomorrow morning. Early. I said, ah, early, you'll be there? He says, yeah. I said, Muhammad, I, I use a watch. You never look at a watch. Will you be there? He says, you come in at 6.30, I'll be there. I said, okay. Sunday morning, I got up early, went down. He was there. I told him what again what I thought it was. He went to the back, put his fingers inside the exhaust pipe. He says, yeah, you're burning a lot of oil. You need an overhaul. I said, ah. I said well, Monday afternoon, I'll break. He said, Dan. You'll never reach down to the airport. I said, no, I've got to take the people down there Monday. After that, I'll bring them back. Dan, leave the car with me. I said, Muhammad, I can't. I've got to get these people to church. He says, Dan, you won't get very far with this vehicle. What do you do? I said, okay, I'll leave it with you. I'll get it to you, Dan. No problem, don't worry. I said, okay. You guys speak Swahili? He told me not to worry. If I told you you spoke Swahili, would you believe me? What's Hakuna Matata mean? Oh, no worries. You know what animal is called a Simba? A lion. All those words you didn't understand in Lion King, those, that's the language we speak, Swahili. 
He says, don't worry. So I left him worrying. As I went home trying to figure out what vehicle I was going to get, we got the people to church. We came back. I was hoping the vehicle would be there. It wasn't. I waited all afternoon. No vehicle. Evening came. No vehicle. The sun sets between 6 and 6.30 every night of the year. No vehicle. became dark. 10 o'clock came. Finally, I said, I'm going to bed. Nothing I can do about it. Somewhere around 1, 1.30, I heard some horn out on the road. So I got up. I looked out. And there it was. Not on the road, but in front of my gate. I went down, opened the gate, in drove Muhammad with the vehicle. He got out and says, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm late. He says, yeah, I told you, you don't watch time. He says, no, that wasn't it. I had your vehicle done at 10.30. I said, well, where have you been for the last two, three hours? He says, well, I wasn't paying attention to the other mechanics, and when they got done, they just left and left their vehicles all over, and I was way in the back, and I couldn't get your vehicle out, so I got my guys around every one of those vehicles. We started bouncing them. Until we made a path. Until I could finally drive out. And here's your vehicle. And I thought, wow. This man's dedicated. This man knows what he's doing. I said, well, it's getting late. Let me get you back into town. He said, no, you need to go back to bed. You go ahead. I'll find my way. And he walked out of my gate and left. And I thought, wow. In America, I could never get an overhaul done in less than 24 hours. And here, this guy did it. And I hoped it worked. Next morning, I got up early, went out, started right up. Ran nice. We loaded everything into the vehicle, all the people in, got the luggage up on top, drove down to the Entebbe airport, said goodbye to the team, driving back. I again was watching my rearview mirrors, no black smoke, no blue smoke. Everything was good. I had power. He had done a great job. Then one day I got a call from Twaha, his son. Dan, dad's dying. So what do you mean dad's dying? So yeah, the doctor says there's nothing we can do about it. High blood pressure, diabetes. He's going to die. I said, Twaha, just this week I talked with a Southern Baptist missionary who's in medical, and they told me the best doctor for exactly what your dad has is here in Jinja. You bring your dad down from Iganga, and you take him into Rana Clinic, and you ask for Dr. Emmanuel, Dr. Emma. He said he'd do it. So we brought him down. I couldn't go over that day, but the next day, I went in, found out where his room was, walked down the corridor, into the room, and there was Muhammad sitting in the bed, sitting up. And the first thing he said, Dan... You saved my life. So what do you mean? He says, I was going to die. The doctor said I was going to die. You saved my life. I said, Muhammad, I can't save your life. Only Jesus Christ can save your life. And he cocked his head to the side and says, maybe. Let me think about it. I said, you do that. We talked a little bit. I left. Kept coming back in every time he was stronger and better and he knew he wasn't going to die so he didn't want to talk about Christianity, didn't want to talk about Jesus Christ. And as I left that hospital, I began to talk with God saying, God, where are you? This was your opportunity. This is where you could have got a hold of Muhammad. I know he was ready. What's going on? We continued to reach out into Uganda. We now have four districts. Uh, you saw there that it said it was 32 million. We are now at 38 million. Oregon is the same size as Uganda. It has 4 million. We have a lot of people in Uganda. We have over 210 churches in Uganda now. Because God is blessing and because the people of Uganda are reaching out, starting new churches. Reaching out, bringing new people into the family of God. Muhammad came over to see me. 
He was doing it regularly now because he wanted his blood pressure checked, wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to get sick again. And so I'd put the cuff on him and keep a, a track of what he was doing with regards to his blood pressure. He said he was walking and he was eating less and not so much oils and not so much this and that. So his blood pressure was coming down. And One day he came over and I said, Mom, will you take a trip with me? I just want you to listen to my vehicle. It's something I've never heard before. We got in the vehicle and we drove down the road and he said, Oof, damn, that doesn't sound good. I said, no. I don't know what that is. I've never heard it before. He said, that's your wheel bearings. They're bad. I said, oh, now what? He said, let's go down to the shop. And I said, no, we haven't had good luck down at your shop. Can we do it at my house? And he said, yeah, no problem. So we drove back. We jacked it up, put the jack stands underneath. We took off the rear wheels. We pulled out the axles. All the fluid went down. He said, give me a hammer. Give me a screwdriver. And he started wailing away at my vehicle. He was getting the bearings out of the rear part of our car. You don't just go down to AutoZone and buy the part you need. You take your part, you travel 50 miles down to the capital city, you start going through every one of these little shops, saying, hey, do you have one of these? Do you have one of these? Do you have one of these? And if you don't find the right one, you get the one that's closest and you hope it'll work. So he went down, came back, was so proud. Look at this, Dan. Genuine Toyota parts made in Japan, not China. I thought, that's great. So he started putting on the left side, got it done. He says, it's getting late, Dan. Can I come back tomorrow and finish up? I said, sure, no problem. So he left. The next day came, but he didn't. Waited all day, no Muhammad. Next day, no Muhammad. Third day, I got on the phone. I said, Muhammad, where are you? He said, ah, I'm not feeling well. I said, okay, when you're better. Car's here, it's not going anywhere. Finally, he comes back. Gets the right side put in. Everything's good. Take it for a test drive. Sounds good. We go over to the corner of our compound where we have a faucet. We started washing our hands. I gave him one of my most precious prized possessions, a piece of lava soap. And he started washing. Man, this is good soap. Gets the oil off you. Yeah. He says, where'd you get it? I said, down the store. I said, what store? I said, the one in Auburn, California, where I'm from. He just shook his head. We got up. I knew we were having our hands clean. But I know his heart was not pure. And as we walked away, he says, Dan, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, anytime. You know that. Can we talk in the house? I said, sure. We've had many a meal around that small table that we have there. Melody making American food that he enjoys. Once Melody made some iced tea and we put it before him. He looked at us and says, Dan, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I said, you just taste it. It's not alcohol. He liked it. He said, how do you make that? Told him how to make it. Can John come in and translate for me? So what does he need to translate for? You and I speak English. We speak Swahili. He says, I want to speak in my mother tongue. I said, okay. So I asked John to come in, and we sat at the table, and Muhammad told me about his life, that he grew up in a Christian home. I thought, wow, didn't know that. Yep, my mom was Catholic. My dad was Anglican. And I grew up until Idi Amin. Some of you know that name. A dictator that took over Uganda for a while. In 1986, he was chased away. Some years ago, he just passed away in Saudi Arabia. When he took over, many people switched to Islam, including Muhammad. He says, uh, I need Jesus. I said, Muhammad, for 15 years, I've been telling you that you've needed Jesus. He said, Dan, I need Jesus today. I said, it's very simple. You just pray. Tell God you're sorry for the things you've done wrong. Ask him to 
Allow His Son, Jesus Christ, to come into your heart. And you start reading the Bible and do what it tells you to do. He says, I don't know how to pray. I said, that's okay. I'll say the words and you repeat them if, if that's what you want in your heart. And so we bowed our heads and we prayed the sinner's prayer. When we were done, I looked up and I saw tears coming out of Muhammad's eyes. The second African man I've ever seen cry, because African men don't cry. And I reached in the back of my Bible and I pulled out a picture of Jesus standing at the heart's door knocking. I turned it over because we had a stamp we put there. It was like a spiritual birth certificate. And I put the date and I put his name and I put my name and I handed it to him and I reached over and took his hand. And I said, welcome to the family of God. And as I held his hand, I go, Muhammad, you're burning up. He says, yeah, I'm sick. I said, let's go see Dr. Emma. So we got in the car, we drove into town, we went into the clinic, and there were a lot of people sitting on the, the benches waiting. Every time the door opened, the next person went in, everybody got up, moved over one seat, sat down. The next one, I knew it was going to be a while, so I went into the lab and asked the tech to come in and take his blood and check it for malaria. As he was doing that, we kept moving along. Finally, he came out and gave us the results. Give this to Dr. Emma when you get in there. So we went in and we sat down and Muhammad told him about his symptoms, his fever, his headache, his aches and joints and all that. Sounds like malaria. Let's get a test. And I said, here it is. So he opened it up and woo, malaria plus, plus, huge malaria. Says, you need to take this, go into town, get the medicine. So we did. Went to the pharmacy, bought the medicine. Before we got back in the car, he took the first dose. I drove down to the garage, found Twaha, told him to take his dad home. Here's the medicine. This is how you're supposed to take it. Make sure he does. And they went. Some days later, Mel and I were walking along the street of Jinja, and there before us, we saw Mohammed coming towards us, big smile on his face. He said, ah, man, how you doing? I said, I'm fine. How are you? He says, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And we talked a little bit. And when we walked away, we looked at each other and said, wow, that's not the Muhammad we used to know. He was filled with joy. A joy that only comes when you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Some months later, he came to me and said, Dan, I'm getting old. I can't be a mechanic anymore. I said, you're not getting old. You're younger than I am. He said, Dan, it takes a lot of work to be a mechanic over here. I said, I know. You don't have the hydraulic cherry pickers. You pull the engines out of your cars with you. You loosen everything up. You get two poles. You put it across the top. You get chains or rope. And you get people to lift that engine out of the compartment. You set it there in the dirt and you take it apart and you put it back together and you put it back in. I'm getting too old for this. I said, what are you going to do? He says, I think I'm going to start a radio station. I said, what? What do you know about radio? He says, nothing except my friend up in the mountains are doing it and he's doing okay. I said, okay. I hope you do well. He says, well, I know I can do it if you'll help me. I said, I'm a preacher. I used to be a banker. I know nothing about about, uh, radio. He said, no, but because you're a banker, you know finance. And I want you to be secretary treasurer of IFM Radio in Iganga. I said, ah, Muhammad, I'm a missionary. I can't do that thing. I'm not allowed to, to earn money. He stopped for a minute and said, no problem, Dan. You do the work. I just won't pay you. It'll be okay. <laughs> I said, okay. So we started reaching out, trying to find the parts we would need to build this radio station. Sending to London and getting parts sent in. And finally, grand opening time came. And here we are, standing there. He invited us up. We were trying to stay in the back. And he came and grabbed us and took us right to the front. Put us on the chairs. And they started the ceremony. People coming and thanking Muhammad for starting this radio station. The mayor and the 
the, the LCs and the chiefs and all that. And then he says, Dan, I want you to come and say a few words. And I'm going, whoo. He didn't tell me he wanted me to say something. But I knew I had to. So I got up. I walked up. I said, you know, I've known this man for many years. He always wants to help people. Reaching out. I met him when Ginger, when he was helping 15-year-old boys learn to become mechanics. And here he's brought the radio station to you so you can hear the news from outside of Uganda and inside Uganda. He's here to help. And I thank him for what he's doing here. And I sat down. They finished. They brought out this big old cake that they had made, took a machete and, and gave everybody a piece of cake. We went home. A month later, he says, Dan, I think the Church of the Nazarene should be on the radio station. I said, wish we could, but we don't have the money. He said, no, 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 for free. I said, free? I'm a banker. He says, yeah, free. I said, okay, when? Tuesdays from 11 to 12. I said, well, let me talk with the district superintendent. Talked to Reverend Nathan. He said, that'd be great. He appointed two people to go up there every Tuesday. And they began to go up. And the radio station began to grow. And people started hearing the word of the Lord. And then Muhammad comes and says, Dan, I think we need a church of the Nazarene in Uganda. I said, yeah, I wish we could, but we don't have any land. He says, let me work on that. He called me and said, Dan, come on up. So I went up and I saw this big old piece of land right in the middle of thousands of people. And he had talked about to a lady who wanted to sell it and lowered the price way down farther than I could have done. And we were able to buy that land. He said, we need a church here, Dan, because I want my family to grow up in the church of the Nazarene. I want them to know Jesus Christ. Now, over there, you have to do certain things and certain steps. And one of the first things you want to do is arrange the health situation. You want to have your toilet first. And so we began to dig our toilet. Now, do you know if you're in the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere? Do you know which way your water goes down your toilet? Do you know what's different in the north as opposed to the south? But we live on the equator. Which way does it go down? Straight down, we went 35 feet, hand-dug toilet, the most beautiful toilet you've ever seen. It was a four-holer. People started coming from miles around just to see the Church of the Nazarene's VIP toilet, ventilated and improved pit latrine. And they were coming. And Muhammad was there to help dig it. And he was there on the day we dedicated the church that was built. All because a man like Muhammad wanted to see a difference made in the lives of people. I cannot reach out to Muslims like he can reach out to Muslims. He asked me, should I change my name? I said, you pray about it. He prayed about it and prayed about it. He says, I don't have an answer. I said, well then, I like the name Muhammad. Use it. But my given name... When I was little, it was a Christian name. A Christian name that reached out to his family. And every time I call him on the phone, I call him by his Christian name. But when I'm out, I call him by the name Muhammad. And people know that he's come from Muslim, Islam, into Christianity. And they see a difference in the life of this one man. And he has helped us to continually reach out. One day he came to my house and said, Dan, we got a problem with the radio. I said, I'm glad you're the manager director and I'm only the secretary treasurer. He 
says, no, it's about your program. I said, my program? The Nazarene Hour. I said, what's wrong? I hear everything's good. People are coming to the door to be prayed for after the, the, uh, the hour's uh, radius. And they're coming to talk with David and Rebecca. I said, yeah, read these. I'm getting letters. And I read them, one, two, three, four, five of them. I said, this is simple, Muhammad. They're all complaining the Nazarene hour is not long enough. You need to give us from 11 to 1 instead of 11 to 12. He looked at me and smiled and said, I can do that. And so now we're on the radio until 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock is when all over Africa, every radio station in Africa is broadcasting the government news. That's when members of parliament find out if they're in or they're out. Cabinet members of the president find out if they need to go back to the office and clear out their office. They don't get that letter that's supposed to be sent out in a nice way. But here, Muhammad is making a difference. Trying to reach out to people. Making a difference. Allowing the Church of the Nazarene to be on his radio. And people come to ask about Jesus. This wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. You see, we are all called not to sit. We're not just to be standing around looking up. Why do you gaze up into the sky? We are to be at service, to be reaching out. And that's why the Church of the Nazarene is growing both in Kenya and Uganda, because the people understand that they don't just sit. They're serving. And Mohammed, a young man who's grown old, is out reaching people. And then there's Rebecca. But she's another story for another time. A young lady who had to sell herself in order to support her brothers and sisters because her mom and dad died of AIDS. These type of people are because of you. You who give to the World Evangelism Fund. You who go out with work and witness teams. You who give to child sponsorship. You who make a difference by reaching out into the world through world mission. You have your neighbors. Do not neglect them. You have a responsibility to reach out in your community. Reach out to the one who checks you out of, for your groceries every week. The one you meet when you get your coffee. The one that is at work across the workplace. We all have a responsibility. Thank you for sending Melody and I to Africa. That's where God called us. And that's where we've been serving. We will continue to serve. May God bless you as you continue to do what he asked you to do in service to him.